2: I've pushed right to the very edge of the human experience, the combination of things that no one in in human history has ever done. And yet it's still difficult for people to grasp until you express it in a way that is maybe more familiar or more um, primal. And music is both those things.
0: You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com, or look out for us in your app store.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Alice Lipscomb-Southwell, the production editor of BBC Focus magazine. Chris Hadfield has been to space three times, completed two spacewalks, and visited two different space stations. But for many, it is a video of him with a guitar floating around in zero gravity aboard the International Space Station while playing David Bowie's Space Oddity that he is best remembered. In this week's Science Focus podcast, we talk to him about how close David Bowie's vision of space was to reality, the life of a retired astronaut and how to keep yourself entertained aboard the ISS.
0: Well, I'd like to kick things off by just sort of saying that you've been into space three times. You've you've done a couple of space walks. You've been on two space stations. But I think one of the things that sort of a lot of the world outside of the sort of um, space fans know you for is your your Bowie song uh, that you did. Why why did you decide to pick up a guitar out in space and record it?
2: Well, I, I pick up a guitar pretty much every day. Um, I, I've been a musician my whole life, in you know, amongst all the other things I've done, and written music and recorded music with lots of people and performed all around the world. So it's natural to play guitar. Um, there's always been music everywhere we've ever explored. You know, the earliest explorers brought, brought music with them uh, on board ships and, and things. And um, there have been musical instruments in space almost since the beginning. They had a harmonica on, on Gemini and I mean, music is is fundamentally human. It's 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 in the caves from 42,000 years ago on the shores of the Rhine. There are there are hollowed out leg bones of cranes and vultures that people turned into flutes. So, so none of that is anything new. And in fact, it's it's vital and necessary for mental health. And and so uh, I played the guitar whenever I I could squeeze in the free time, which wasn't too often on the spaceship. Um, but I they scheduled seven hours or seven and a half hours of sleep a night. And I would steal that time t- uh, that I was supposed to be asleep to pursue the things that were more personal and taking photographs and writing and, and, um, and playing music. And, and so I, I wrote an entire album of music on the space station called, uh, space sessions songs from a tin can, which has done very well. And, and when I released one song, from the space station, a, a Christmas carol from a different perspective that my brother Dave and I had written. When it got released on SoundCloud, there was sort of an internet clamoring uh, to do a cover of Space Oddity, which which is both impossible and arrogant <laughs> to try and cover Bowie. But uh, my son said, hey, just give it a shot, Dad. You know, what the heck? And the the song is strong enough and, and ethereal enough that it really suited the place beautifully, just the vocal track. And then I had friends on Earth, including M. Greiner, who used to play in David Bowie's band. had, um, had friends on Earth put some, the instrumentals underneath my voice and guitar that I sent down. Came up with a really lovely version that Bowie himself loved. And one day, I, towards the end of the flight, I floated around singing along with the final audio track to make give some raw material for the video. And my son edited it together. And, and since then, it's been seen hundreds of millions of times, which is... As you say, I've um, pushed right to the very edge of the human experience, the combination of things that no one in in human history has ever done. And yet it's still difficult for people to grasp until you express it in a way that is maybe more familiar or more um, primal and music is both those things. And so I'm delighted that um, people can maybe see exploration and see space flight a little more personally, a little more clearly, um, perhaps because, uh, because of the way that I, I had a chance with, with Mr. Bowie's immense help to, uh, to express it musically.
0: It sounds like it's, um, uh, the way you're talking about it, it's like it's quite emotional, uh, thing to do. And there must've been a huge amount of emotion that you've gone through both just being in the ISS and paying homage to such an incredible song. How, how can you sort of explain that? Have you tried to explain that through the, the, the songs that you've written?
2: Well, I think good music um, should bring emotions to the surface no matter where you are. Um, it, it, you know, if you're listening to something, it should at least be evocative and, 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 and you know, and put emotions into you that, that maybe weren't there when it started. But to, to play a song like that where it had never been played before, in, in the place where Bowie dreamed of always going, uh, I mean, it, it was a constant thread through his artistic creativity his whole life with Mars and Starman and everything. And and, and he wrote Oddity when he was nineteen, you know, turning twenty. He was just a kid and um, before we walked on the moon, in fact. And and so uh, to to find that he'd guessed right as to what it might feel like, um, just having watched some of the early space imagery, and and that he then like a really good artist does, found a way to to carry emotion from one place to another through music. So yeah, I mean, lots of songs bring me to tears. They should, uh, they're just beautiful poetry. And and that's part of the reason I play music is it helps me uh, understand what I'm doing. It helps express my own activities to me, you know, and most of the great songs in the world I didn't write, you know, that I, I but I've learned others, other people's. And um, and so, yeah, it, w- it was an unexpected pleasure, for sure. I, I never intended to, to record a Bowie tune in space. I- I- it's the only Bowie tune I've ever played, really. Um, but, um, you know, it's sort of like playing Super Tramp or something, or Bach. You know, you're not just going to cover it and move on. But, um, but no, I, I uh, uh, it- it's it makes me think about... Especially the way M. Greiner put that lovely, soft, thoughtful piano intro into the start of it. Um, it. It sets the tone really well with the sound of the clicking of the life on board a spaceship in the background. I really like the way that um, that we ended up mixing it and releasing it because it, it immediately takes me right there, like, like really good music should.
0: Mm. So. Back on Earth, obviously, you'd already been up a a few times, but the last time you came down, you'd you'd sort of gone viral in the sort of internet sensation with the song. How is Earth for you now, having been up to space uh, three times and then to come back and just to be this huge celebrity astronaut?
2: Uh, Well, I think celebrities are right. It depends what you're being celebrated for. Um, And uh, I never set out to be a celebrity. Um, I just tried to do uh, complicated things that I enjoyed as well as I possibly could. And, you know, when I was a a fighter pilot or I was a downhill ski racer for several years as well, or, or as a test pilot, um, and then the 21 years as an astronaut, uh, I was just trying to do something that really challenged me and, and get as good at it as I, I was possibly capable of being, and then do it as well as I could. And, um, I think the delight is to see the impact that that has had on other people's thinking and and more importantly on their own decision-making and their behaviors. You know, I've written three books about it with the same purpose of sharing the experience because it's still so rare and letting other people see what's practical and useful out of those ideas. And uh, I think the number of people that follow me on the various social media outlets has quintupled since I landed um I, I had like three quarters of a million people following before uh, oddity, so it wasn't like suddenly there, there was a huge change but but of course that that caught peop- some people's attention and um, but it's the ideas that matter. There have been lots of astronauts fly in space. Um, but what really matters is are the ideas valid and are they expressed in a way that that means something and it, it is personally memorable? And are they applicable at an individual level? Is the idea of of uh, seeing the entire world in ninety minutes as one uh, joined place? Um, how do you how do you set yourself a dream and a goal in life that is probably never going to happen, and yet pursue it happily every day for decades and, and stay you know cheerful in, in the pursuit? How do you deal with great success? Um, and integrate that into the rest of your life and not make the rest of your life pale in comparison. You know, all, all sorts of ideas and, and just the straight raw imagery and, and experience itself. So, yeah, I've, I teach at university and uh, I just did a, that series on BBC um, called Astronauts and the series on National Geographic called One Strange Rock. And we're do, I'm producing a series on YouTube called Rare Earth that we've done 57 episodes of. That I, I really enjoy its, its stories from all around the world. And to me, all of those are connected. Um, the Same reason that I, that I dreamed of being an astronaut as a kid. It's just a continuance of all of that. And I'm delighted to, that everyone around the world, well, not everyone, but, but so many people around the world share the dream and the interest, but also the, the curiosity as to what, what it means. And, and, yeah, I speak all over the world all the time. And and um, and so I get to immediately see the reaction in people's eyes and thoughts.
0: So one of the things that you're doing is you're doing the, the Space Shambles show uh, in the UK.
2: What a, what a treat that is. It's a royal overhaul with, with Robin and company. we got a real good cast of rogues for the stage. I think it'll be a fun night.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. I was just thinking that is like, you, what you've sort of got is you've got this wonderful experience of science, but also mixed in with music and uh, comedy as well. Um, and I was just sort of wondering... Obviously, when you're out in space on the International Space Station, how do you keep laughing? How do you keep yourself entertained while you're up there?
2: You're incredibly busy. Um, We run about 200 experiments on the International Space Station, and it's the the largest and the most complex thing we've ever built off the planet. And there's only, right now, there are just three people up there. They have to run all 200 experiments, fix everything that breaks, run the ship. You know, work with the five different mission control centers around the world. It's a busy, busy um, focus of a place to be. Um, so th- there's a great uh, joy in productive busyness. You know, you don't spend a lot of time um, um, being Hamlet, you know, or staring at your own navel. Um, so uh, it's it's an immensely rewarding place. And when you get tired, uh, just wait a little while, and the work that you have to do will radically change. You know, you're You're um, doing a nanoparticle experiment and then you have to uh, disassemble the entire toilet and rebuild it. And then you speak to the queen and then and then you exercise for two hours. And then, you know, it's just it's the days are busy. And then in the evening, you have a chance to look out the window and see the entire world and or play with weightlessness which which is just it's a toy that never winds down it's just so joyful and and you're up there sharing it with other people there are other people you can grab by the shoulder and say look at that you know which which is great it's it's and some people even bowie guessed that it was lonely and you know uh, elton john's Uh, rocket man of course it's not about space flight it's about being a a gay man in the 70s in the public eye but but it's still about loneliness and he used space flight as a metaphor for loneliness but it's really not lonely at all you see all seven and a half billion people every day uh multiple times and and you're there with other people and you're right in the very hub of something uh, on the cutting edge of of what anybody has ever experienced so um I, I, you know the loneliest people i've ever met live in the middle of big cities it's not a it's not a geographical thing it's whether you feel that your life is um is busy and productive and whether you're involved in something that that you dream about and that you enjoy i think so um yeah it's 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 a fascinating place to be
0: do you think that when you were um, aboard the ISS, that when you come down, you'd be making such an impact with uh, you know, events like this, you know, comedy and music? and do, Did you see yourself, that was what you were doing?
2: I've, I've always looked to the future, of course. And my wife and I have been together for almost our entire lives. We met in a high school play um, when, when she, got, she was just turning 15. So I met her when I was just 16 and she was 14. So we've always talked about the future and um, what, what to do next. So we always talked about what to do next, and we've always had different options, and you never have any guarantees at all. Um, but about to 10 years ago, when we were about five years away from what we knew was probably time to leave the astronaut office after so many years and move on to something else, we basically said we love all the stuff we're doing right now, and, and it's not space flight that I love, are the only thing I love. I was an astronaut 21 years. I was only in space for six months. So it's obviously the rest of the stuff that I really enjoy. And so we just made up a list of all the things that gave us a, a good feeling about ourselves and made us feel productive and and um, uh, like, like the, the week or the year or the day had been worthwhile. And we said, let's try and, and develop a life together that has as many of these things in it as possible. Still have to pay the bills and, you know, make a living, but at the same time, um let's have a life and so we uh we made up a list and and had lots of different options and we've been pursuing them both in parallel and serially since then and some of them have worked out really well um and some have just sort of uh, either not yet happened or or have turned out to be different than we expected which is great and we're still tinkering with life of course um but I think it's delightful that um, I've I've had experiences and and learned things and have found a way to express them that um, other people find valuable. And and you can just do it in, in writing an article for a newspaper or, or uh, through radio or or, um, or writing a book and. Um, but to be able to express it musically or, or through, uh, through poetry or, or public performance is, to me, is great. And, and uh, I've always enjoyed public speaking. I, I won a public speaking contest in eighth grade and they, they taught me how. And then the military stressed really hard um, public speaking and, you know, gave training in it and such. But I think it's a useful skill, like other things. And, and so uh, I've gotten to know lots of people. Very much in the public eye, which which was fun. I, I'm um, working with Sean Penn right now. He's he's doing a, a TV series, his first TV series called um, The First, where he's the commander of the first crew to Mars. I think it'll air in the fall. They've, they've finished shooting, but um, he called, contacted me out of the blue and said, "Hey, you know, I'm the commander of a spaceship and I know nothing about it, but I've read your book and I've seen your TED talk, and I'd really appreciate it if, if you know if you could spend some time with me and." Counsel me on how to do this well. And so I've gotten to know Sean pretty well. And, you know, he's he's a really interesting, smart, complex guy. Um, there's a there's a great public understanding of who he is, which is of course not accurate, but um but that's you know, that's fine. You have to have a persona, I guess, especially in that line of work. But he's he's a fascinating guy to talk to. And it's really nice to compare. The public uh, perception of who he is, the the great skill he's shown winning the Academy Awards for acting, but also just to see the problems he has in his late 50s. You know, we're we're about the same stage of life and a lot of the same concerns at life, and so it, it's nice to meet the people. And and you know, I, the Queen and Prince Philip invited us for a sleepover at Windsor Castle, which was a, a, you know a highlight of my life and my wife's life to to get to know them. People who've seen and met everyone, who've been in the public eye since birth, basically, and, and yet have found a way uh, with the un- unrelenting expectation of billions of people to still conduct a life and do things that they're proud of and, and try and live up to their own responsibilities. I, uh, you know, it's lovely to have a chance to meet people like that and then compare your own small life and, and the things that you've done and how to perhaps try and do it better.
0: The next batch of uh, astronauts that go up, do you think that they will just be uh, engineers and scientists, or do you think there will be more artists and writers and musicians?
2: Uh, astronauts, you know, we're not insects. We're you know we're we're not we're multifaceted. And um, the the commander of the space station right now just took over last week. Drew Feustel, he's lead guitarist in in our in one of the bands that I was in, and he's a Jaguar mechanic, and he's a really almost a world class water skier. And he has a PhD in geophysics, and he's the commander. He helped. He did a critical repair during a spacewalk to save the Hubble telescope, and now he's commander of the space station. So the the real question is, um, when will space travel become safe enough that we can take people who aren't supremely qualified, but people who who are just specialized in a non-technical area? And we're getting close. What Richard Branson's doing, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, we're right at a tipping point now, I think, where the... They're uh, evolving the technology so that um, so that it'll be safe enough. It'll still be very expensive at first, but like like air travel used to be, or even train travel, or, or luxury yacht travel. But the price will come down, and um, and I, I think the experience is rich enough and stimulating enough that it'll really do things. Uh, and and inspire things out of artists that none of the current astronauts have been capable of, which I really look forward to.
1: That was Commander Chris Hadfield talking to ScienceFocus.com editor Alexander McNamara. You can hear more from the Canadian astronaut, along with former BBC Focus columnist Robin Ince, space scientist Professor Monica Grady, Apollo astronaut Rusty Schweickart and comedian Stuart Lee in Space Shambles at the Royal Albert Hall on Friday the 15th of June. Thanks for listening to the Science Focus podcast. In our June issue, which is on sale now, we find out whether we could use wormholes to take handy shortcuts through space, investigate Stephen Hawking's last theory, talk to Jane Goodall about her career in chimpanzee conservation and delve into the science that could help us close the gender pay gap. Did you enjoy this podcast? If you liked what you heard, then why not subscribe and leave us a review? You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher and many of your favourite podcast apps.
0: Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.